Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. episode 80 of the Australian Hiker podcast and that sound you just heard was me ringing the bell which signifies that I've completed my trip on the Bibbulin track. Uh, I've walked the 1,000 approximate kilometres from Albany to, to Kalamunda in Perth and my journey is now over. In this episode we're going to have three main sections. The first section is just to complete um, uh, an omission that I made last week when I was talking about trail infrastructure uh, and that'll be just a short uh, uh, section to finalise that. Uh, I'll then go on to talking about track towns. Uh, now that I've passed all through all the towns on the trail, I'll just give a, a very brief overview about how I found each of the towns and what services are able to be provided in each of those towns are. And finally, will be the series of recordings from both myself and from other hikers on the last section of the trail from Dwelling Up through to Perth. At the end of the episode, I'll also be explaining where to as far as the Bibbleman Track's concerned. And while this is the last of the on-trail episodes, we still have two more episodes to do uh, concerning the track as well as some write-ups. And I'll detail those at the end of this episode. We hope you enjoy. Last week when I discussed infrastructure on the trail, one thing I didn't mention, which was quite important, was the signage. Now, there's a, the main signage on the trail is a yellow triangular little sign uh, with a woggle on it, which is a snake uh, from Aboriginal culture. Uh, and the, the triangle points in the direction that it wants you to go. So it's an elongated triangle. Um, so I'm sitting here at uh, Shadora Hut looking outside and there's very, ob uh, very obviously I can see which direction the trail runs. So as long as I remember which way I came in and don't go back the same way, I'm fine. These signs pretty much are the, the companion all the way through the track. And talking to Steve from the, the Bibbleman Track Foundation uh, in the interview I did before this, uh, this trip, he said they averaged roughly about every 500 metres along the trail. Uh, I would say in a perfect world that's the case, but what's, what I've found along the trail is um, that there's been burn-offs and bushfires go through and sometimes the, the signs have been totally cooked and you can't see them or instead of being yellow and black they're white and black or they've um, been fired so badly there's only metal in there and you have to assume that's the right right trail marker you're following. The other issue is regrowth. So I learnt early on in the, uh, the trip that if you're walking along a road and saw a power pole 
uh, and there was a bush in front of it, always have a look behind the bush because it wasn't unusual for the bear to be a trail marker on the, uh, the power pole and it was hidden by a bush. Um, usually whoever's putting these signs up has done a good job. They've realised that there is regrowth and so some of the times the signage will be a two or three metres above ground level, which is above the level of regrowth. Um, the other issue is sometimes the trees fight back because in most cases these uh, little uh, markers are nailed to trees uh, and it's not unusual to see the markers that are physically grown into the tree and you just can't understand what they're trying to tell you or some of the big trees that are releasing a, a dark ready sap that it's almost so dark it's black have, have covered over the sign and you think oh you have a closer look and realize there is something under there but you've got to really look closely they seem to have started using new signs that are square with the, the yellow diamond or the yellow triangle with the black snake on the in, inside of it uh, and the white's reflective and I found that doing um, some night hiking a while ago that the signage, uh, both types, the newer and the older signage, was actually a lot easier to see because it was reflective. So providing it hadn't been cooked in fires, um, you could often see it 70, 80, 100 metres away just by the reflection of the light. Uh, and that did surprise me. I thought oh, the yellow signs won't show up that well, but they did, did very well. Occasionally you'll get posts uh, and there are red posts or ready brown posts with the, the signage on it and they'll also have signage saying things like no motorbikes or no horses uh, as well um, and if there is a diversion they'll usually use a yellow post with the, um, the trail markers pointing in a different direction and there'll be a sign up explaining what the diversion is and what it looks like. So. I think I haven't used my compass the entire trip. It hasn't come out of its bag. Uh, there is, has been no need to. Uh, I think as long as you pay attention to the trail markers, um, sometimes, as I said, you go a long distance. So walking to Shadora Hut, which is where I am at the moment, I've probably spent about half the trip, almost 10 kilometres on Management Road. Not all in one go, but there's been long sections. And sometimes you go a kilometre, a kilometre and a half without seeing one of the little signs and you think, oh, have I gone the right way or have I missed a turn? And then all of a sudden, you know, you stop and check and then shortly after you'll find one of the little signs. So uh, sometimes you just have to trust that you've gone the right direction. If you check where you're going, normally if you come to a diversion in the road, there'll be a, a marker saying this is the way you need to go and then around about another 20 metres in there'll be another one just to confirm it. Quite often it's on the tree and from coming from the south it seems to be people seem to be favouring the trees on the right hand side but sometimes it's on the left it really depends on where there's a decent tree. So if you're not quite sure have a look down the road you think it is and around about 20 metres down you'll see another one which will confirm it's the right way to go. I did have a couple of missteps earlier in the trip and one of them was coming into Collie where a tree had fallen down directly across the turnoff and it had fall it was a bushy tree it hadn't gone down that long ago and it had done such so in such a way that it didn't look like there was a road there at all or a trail there at all and it had done a reasonably good job of covering the trail marker as well. And I went about 200 metres and thought, this is not right. You know, I've come to a couple of roads and it's not telling me which way to take. 
So I went back again and found the turn, but that was only because I thought this didn't feel right. Uh, and I think that's often the case. If something doesn't feel right, go back to the last known point and then pay close attention. My final comments on the signage would be that um, a couple of things. Talking to Steve Sirtis from the Bibbleman Track Foundation, he said those new squarish white signs with the yellow woggle marker in the centre were meant to be used on posts uh, and they are reflective. But also the uh, yellow triangular markers are also reflective. He said with very few exceptions um, where the, the signs have been up for many, many years, Australian standards requires the trail markers are reflective. And as I said, it just surprised me how easy they were to see at night time. It was so much easier to see them at night time than it was during the day. Um, this track, as long as you are paying attention and haven't gone off into your own world, is very easy to follow. Sometimes it is difficult. I had some sections of burnt out area where I'm thinking, I think I'm on the track, but I'm not quite sure. It was only that I was following a depression in the ground and there was a leaf litter collected on the trail that I thought, yeah, I'm going the right way. I have talked to a number of people, particularly over this section between Dwelling Up and Kalamunda, where people have gotten lost badly, uh, including one, one guy who uh, uh, actually took two days to get from Kalamunda to Mundaring Weir, which is a long time for, for that section, it really is. Um, and it's it only because he'd hadn't really didn't really have maps wasn't really uh, paying attention to what was going on um, and he was getting himself a bit confused so it really is you get into habit you get in you get your eye in for where the trail markers are uh, and they as I said in most cases they are very good it's just where nature is fought back through bushfire or tree sap or fallen trees that you do have to think about Hang on a sec, I think I might have gone the wrong way. Let's go back and find the trail marker and just mark the, that I last saw and see where I'm going. But as I said, I didn't bring my compass out the entire time. Um, it wasn't necessary. Uh, and I rarely, if ever, bought the maps out. One feature or one, one app that I was using, uh, uh, and this was being commonly used on the track by a lot of people, was the Guthook app. Um, and I'll go through and do a review of that uh, prior to the end of this uh, this series of podcasts. It is well worth getting, and make things makes things very much easier uh, to actually uh, find out where you are. So, as I said, the the trail markers very important feature, and an oversight on my part for not doing it last week. In this next segment, I just want to go through and discuss the track towns. Um, when you're doing a thousand kilometre journey, you really can't carry 30 or 40 or 50 days of food in one go. You're going to have to rely on either having food dropped off to you or purchasing food along the way. In addition, there are other services such as laundry services, um, uh, off-track accommodation, uh, picking up gas and other supplies that you're going to need to source. And this is where the track towns come in. So I just want to provide a very brief overview of each of the 12 towns along the track, and this includes the trailheads as well. 
So for me, the first Trek town was Albany, uh, a city of roughly around about 30,000 population. Uh, and I arrived in there on the evening of the 8th of August, the day before I started. Albany is quite a, a, a central hub town for this area. Um, large supermarkets such as Coles and Woolworths and pretty much anything you would expect to find in those sort of supermarkets. Number of camping and outdoor scores to pick up gas uh, and other supplies if need be, including uh, outdoor freeze-dried and dehydrated meals. Um, the food and accommodation in the town is varied, uh, so it's quite a good starting point for the track. Uh, and even though I spent just an evening in there, um, I, I found it to be quite a good town. Next is Denmark, uh, and that was, uh, the for me, the first section along the trail. Um, and Denmark is a much smaller town, and I believe, and I could be wrong on this, I believe the population from what I was told was around about 6,000, so a much smaller town than Albany. Denmark surprised me in a lot of ways. It's almost, it's almost a bit like it's a hidden secret. Um, you know, it's a much smaller town. You wouldn't expect there to be as many services, and probably a good indication of this is no Coles and Woolworths supermarkets. But there was an IGA, and they tend to fill the niche when the big supermarkets aren't in there. Uh, very good selection of, of um, food. Uh, not really, not necessarily freeze-dried or outdoor meals, although there was stores there that could provide that. Um, and you could get gas uh, in that town as well. I found Denmark to be probably one of the best areas for food along the track. I had the best pizza I have eaten on this track and probably one of the best pizzas I've ever eaten in my life from the local pizza store there. It was spectacular. Uh, I had one of the best breakfasts from one of the little cafes there uh, along the track. And again, it was just, I love my smashed avocado uh, on toast. And this was just really well done. And, yeah, and to go to a small town in the middle of nowhere and get some spectacular food. And there are other restaurants there that you know, I just didn't have the time to go through and try them all out. It was a good little town and had a good little feel about it. Um, and speaking of food, I will, when I go through and do the written write-up, I'll go through and identify that these little hidden gems of foods and uh, food and restaurants and cafes that people should try and go to. From there, we move on to Peaceful Bay. And Peaceful Bay is described on the Bibbulmun Track uh, website as a picturesque holiday spot on the edge of the Southern Ocean. And to call it a town is a bit of a stretch. Really, it's a caravan park, some houses, um, a store that sells petrol is the local post office, does take away food, uh, as well as provide minimum uh, resources for hikers as well. Uh, I needed to top up my water and I said, look, is there somewhere I can, I can get a water? I was quite happy with the tap. And they said, oh, if you give, me, give us your, your bladder, they, filled, they had a, a, a large jug of water, uh, a drum of water in the shop, which they filled people's water up. And that was a surprise. I was, as I said, I was quite happy to go out and use a tap. Good place to buy ice creams. You can get fish and chips. So depending on what time you turn up, you could actually get a, a meal if you came through at the right time. Caravan parks there if you feel like not going on to the next town. Um, but it's, we're starting to get pretty small. 
And I think if you hit that area in the, in the height of the holiday season, you might be struggling to find everything you need and get out of there quickly. But again, a nice little pleasant stop. And I, I used it to have an afternoon tea and grab an ice cream and a drink before I headed on to the campsite for the night. From there, we move on to Walpole. Um, Walpole's a bigger town, certainly nowhere near as big as Denmark or Albany. Um, it does have a main street, but it doesn't take you very long to walk down. Uh, good range of resources. So I stayed in a, um, uh, a, a hotel there as opposed to Denmark. I stayed in the backpackers. And um, uh, it was good just to refresh and uh, be able to sit there and um, not have to get dressed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, which you do a lot of the backpackers. Uh, and um, there are a couple of good takeaways. Um, I found the takeaway closest to the hotel, which is a relatively new one, to be really good. Um, you know, if anything, they overfeed you, uh, which is not a, a bad complaint to have. Picked up gas supply there, um, and I'm a user and a big fan of 100 gram gas cylinders, uh, and I was able to get that quite comfortably at the local hardware uh, store uh, um, uh, and there was an IGA there so you could pick up noodles and uh, and all that type of stuff and tuna uh, but um, you are going to be limited in some respect of getting uh, dehydrated meals uh, the smaller the towns that generally not always the less ability you have for picking up um, camping specific food from there we move on to Northcliffe as we go north uh, and Northcliffe is, again, from the, the Bilbo Track, is located 360 kilometres south of Perth, uh, and that's really the, the stopping point between Walpole and Pemberton. I didn't overnight there. I was, I was, I was on my way to Pemberton and um, didn't really feel like staying there uh, um, for any particular reason. I hit Northcliffe during a very, period of very heavy rain, uh, and I actually stopped at the... Um, there's a cafe there uh, and stopped in for pies uh, and some hot chocolate and a Coke. Uh, and, you know, with, with, when it was pouring with rain, that's just what I needed. Gave me a chance to charge, charge any electronics I needed. Um, and, you know, they had a range of pies. So good little place to stop as a, as a midpoint. Um, I'm not too sure, in all honesty, on the services there. As I said, I was pretty much self-sufficient between Walpole and Pemberton and didn't need to pick up. Um, so, uh, but again, it was a good place to stop for a lunch break and have a bit of, bit of pie or chips or whatever you feel like just to break the monotony of hiking food. Now, Pemberton. Pemberton is, again, another one of those little towns that really surprised me. So it's um, in the middle of the Kari forests. And I can remember walking into Pemberton and thinking, what are these trail designers doing? So I, I was going up this steep hill and I still hadn't really picked up my fitness at that stage. Uh, and I'm walking up this massive great hill to see the Gloucester tree. And I'm thinking, why do I want to go and see a tree? I'm actually a horticulturalist. I've got a landscape architecture background. Uh, I love trees, don't get me wrong, but I'm thinking, what is so special about this tree? So I walk up the top of this steep hill 
And all I can think of is I'm going to have to walk down the other side of this hill, aren't I? And it's going to be a really steep decline down. The Gloucester tree was basically a tree that's got pegs nailed into it all the way around and you can go through and climb it. As I said, I'm not the sort of person that has to climb things to say I've been to the tallest point. It was interesting, lots of bird life around. Uh, but what surprised me was there was a very slight decline from there down into Pemberton itself. So it's almost like Pemberton's almost on a, on a bit of a, a plateau. So I was, I was greatly pleased about that. Pemberton's a good little town. Uh, there is um, a general supply store there that sells bits and pieces. Um, I looked at getting gas resupply there, and for some reason, I've already discussed this in previous podcasts, is they didn't carry 100-gram cylinders. They just had the two 3240-gram cylinders and the big 500-gram cylinders. So I pressed on with my little 100-gram cylinder, and I'm getting 12 days out of um, a little 100-gram cylinder. Uh, so it actually lasted me quite well until uh, uh, I got through to, um, and in fact, I got through to Collie and resupplied there. So, um, uh, but what I did discover in Pemberton is um, the wine bar, which I've mentioned previously in one of the posts. I had marron and white bait for dinner, and it was probably the best meal I'd had on the entire trail. Not cheap, but exceptionally good quality. I could have quite happily stayed there and eaten the same thing twice over, not because I wasn't full, because it was just such good food. Um, my mistake I made in uh, Pemberton was staying at the... I, I was really tired that day. I was just looking for the closest hotel off the track, uh, and that meant the next day when I walked into town, I ended up doing that three times and did 10 kilometres on a rest day. So in hindsight, I would have stayed at one of the hotels much closer to the centre of town, which would have cost more. Uh, but uh, again, being close to town was quite good. Uh, and there is a laundromat in Pemberton as well, so it was a good opportunity to, to go down and uh, use uh, the commercial laundromat just to clean the clothes. Then we move on to the Donnelly River Village. Now, Donnelly River um, is roughly about the halfway point of the track. It, it is a village. It's quite tiny. It really consists of a series of homes and um, halls, as well as the general store. Um, the pies at the Donnelly River uh, general store are spectacular and not to be missed. I turned up there about 10 to 9 one morning. Uh, the fire was going, it was nice and toasty and warm. It was a really eclectic uh, batch of um, fit out inside. It almost looked like one of those stores you expect to see 100 years ago. Uh, and I very could have very easily spent half a day there just eating pies uh, and um, just sitting by the fire and charging my electronics. Uh, limited range of product, uh, but there is product there for hikers. It's not cheap. Um, but again, it's the sort of thing that if, uh, if you need to um, uh, pick up something, it's a good opportunity to do so. They do provide accommodation there and they also take food drops. So uh, like a lot of the other places, you can do food drops along the way. Donnelly River is ideally situated for that. Um, you also get to see lots of emus that hang around the store and kangaroos that expect to be fed, so they're quite friendly. Ballinup's the next town uh, in the, on the track, uh, and 
In some respects, it was a bit of a letdown. I booked myself into um, the post office, uh, basically backpacker-style accommodation. Basic, but quite clean and quite pleasant. Uh, and I was expecting to go down to the, the pub for a meal. And apparently, they just had a big medieval festival on the weekend, and pretty much the town was be- had been eaten out of house and home. Uh, so the pub wasn't actually opening till the next day. And by the time I realised this and tried to go somewhere else, everything else had closed. So hiking food for that night. Uh, but a good little town, and I think if you got there during the daytime, quite nice. But they um, uh, certainly, at the time I went through there, everything seems to shut about 5.30. And I wasn't aware the pub wasn't open that day. So um, uh, it would have been nice to have a, a, a good meal. Collie's the next track. Now, Collie's actually off the track by about 2.7 kilometres. So you've really got to make up your mind whether you're going to stop in Collie or not, but it is in a good location to do so. It's a large central town, a bit like Albany. Has a Coles, has a Woolworths, has just about everything you can imagine. Um, And it uh, has a very good camping store there, uh, which you can get just about anything you want. Or if you you break something or need to replace it, this is probably your best choice along the track, apart from Albany. Um, Again, I went in to pick up a 100-gram gas cylinder, and they said, yes, we normally stock them, but we're out of them. So I had to pick up a larger cylinder. Um, But at least they do stock the smaller cylinders. So um, good staff, look after you well. Uh, and a good chance to recharge and pick up McDonald's or anything else you can imagine in, in, in town. Dwelling Up uh, is the next town on from there, and this is where the interviews and, um, uh, and podcast recordings after this section will start. Um, only about an hour and a half drive from Perth, um, and very much a holiday town for, for people in Perth. Dwelling Up is a good little town not huge by any means, um, but has a really nice feel about it. Uh, the Blue Wren Cafe is not to be missed. Um, I had three meals there and loved the food. It is, it is really good, really quick service, and the, the staff are really friendly. I stayed at the, uh, the hotel there, uh, and the hotel uh, is not the cheapest hotel on the track, but it's clean, it's reliable, it's actually quiet because it's not right next door to the hotel, so it's quite good. Uh, and um, you know, it's, it's removed by about 50 or 60 metres. The food there at the hotel is excellent for dinner time, uh, and the visitor information centre ser- sells uh, freeze-dried meals. So if you do need to stock up, uh, that's one option, or you can go to the little IGA Express, which has limited resupply options, but can do snack bars and noodles and things like that. Uh, you can also get cheaper accommodation in the, in the, um, the uh, caravan park that's there as well. Now, the next town, if you want to call it that, is Mundaring uh, Hotel. Um, and it's not actually Mundaring itself, but it's, it's you're passing through the hotel. Uh, and again, it, it's a good stop off for having a meal. My mistake when I planned this trip was assuming that uh, it was a country hotel and it'll be open at night for dinner. Uh, and I realized about a week beforehand that they don't do dinners every night of the week. And in fact, 
Monday through to Thursday, dinner is not an option. So I'd planned on staying there, having dinner, having breakfast before moving on. So I had to reschedule my planning to go through and make sure I arrived there at lunchtime. Uh, good place for food, big hearty meals. Uh, I had a slice of pizza from the guy I was having lunch with. Very good pizzas. Um, and the food is just, a, it's a good stop off point. And I was flagging a bit by the stage, needed a bit of energy, and that was a good place to go through and do it. Then on to Kalamunda, which is basically the trailhead or the northern terminus for the track. So you'll either start or finish there, depending on which way you're going. Really, it's just an outer suburb of Perth, located in the Perth Hills. You're in Perth by this stage, and again, anything you can think of, anything you can imagine. Now, you could potentially stay in Kalamunda at the end of the trip, or move on from there, but um, it's a bit like Albany. If you're, uh, if you're starting from Kalamunda, you've probably got everything you need. If you're finishing there, unless you're planning on staying, uh, you're probably not going to... You might stop there for lunch. For me, I just got, I just got a, a taxi to a friend's place. Um, uh, but yeah, they've got lot, just about anything you can imagine. It is part of Perth itself. So that's a brief overview of each of the track towns along the trail. They've all got their own little charms. They've all got their own ability to resupply. I have re I'm really picky on my food when I hike. Um, if you don't like food, it's no good buying it because you just won't be inclined to eat it. And that sounds really silly to say, but I, um, I go through stages on every hike I do where I just decide I don't like a particular food. And a good example on this trail is every other trail for the last 10 years I've eaten jerky and I just had no craving for jerky this time at all. Uh, every other trail I've done over the last 10 years I've had bread wraps. This time I couldn't eat the wraps. Uh, and again, it wasn't the actual product itself, it was just that was what my, my food wants were at the stage. Um, I find that um, I will buy certain sorts of foods and uh, use certain sorts of foods. Uh, and again, buying foods just for the sake of it because there's nothing available, I'm not inclined to eat it. So I tend to uh, mail food ahead and it's food that I like and know what I want. Uh, but a lot of people aren't, aren't so fussy as I am uh, and will make do. So it's really up to, to what your, your, your choices are like. But the, the more you like food, the better it's going to be. Go through and check on what the services you want are as well as what's available. And as I said, Mundaring Wheel, I, we are a hotel. I had an expectation it would be open for dinner on the night it came through. It wasn't. So um, that was my own fault. It was only when I went on and had a look at the website, I thought, okay, I need to reschedule. Um, but they're lovely little towns. The people are generally pretty friendly in them and really helpful. Um, and there's often trail angels in a lot of these towns that will help you out if you do get stuck. So um, it's a, they're good stop-off points. They're good points for breaks and having rests, which I did on four occasions. So for me, I had a rest break, uh, a day off in Walpole, Pemberton, Collie and Dwelling Up. And they just took me to load up on food and just to reflag and re recapture a bit of energy. 
So uh, choice is yours, depending on how fast you're moving, where you're stopping, and how long you're stopping for. Um, but again, have a look at these towns. They really are a good option. One final stopping point or stop-in point that I'd probably mention is three ways. And it's not actually a town. It's basically a service station and then a roadside tavern that also happens to be a bottle shop. Um, three ways is getting a good name. It's apparently under new ownership not that long ago. Uh, and certainly the uh, that's located just not far from Gringer Hut. Um, and the people I talked to uh, leading up to that swore by the food. They said even the small breakfast, which was about $15, they struggled to finish it. Um, unfortunately, I arrived before the chef had turned up, uh, but I did have toasted banana bread and hot chocolate. Uh, and again, it was just something for a bit of a warm breakfast and, and just something that wasn't hiking food. So it's... Um, it's a bit of a, it's the only really stopping point as such between uh, uh, Dwelling Up and, and Kalamunda, apart from the Mundaring Weir Hotel there. So it's, um, it's a good, uh, good stop point. You can pick up muesli bars and chocolate and things like that and get some basics. Uh, I wouldn't rely on it to do a, a resupply, a full resupply, but for snacks and a bit of variety in the food, it's a good option and alternative to look at. This last segment of the podcast contains two main things. Firstly, my recordings of how I was feeling and how I went over the duration of the trip from dwelling up to uh, Kalamunda, as well as a series of interviews. Um, this is probably the biggest week as far as me coming across other hikers was concerned. There are a lot of people that seem to start at the beginning of September and I ran into some days, the biggest day I came across 18 people uh, and that was actually a weekend so it wasn't unsurprising. Uh, and, but most days I was seeing people and only had one occasion where I actually had the accommodation in the huts to myself. I was also surprised in this section by the number of people that knew me that were listening to the podcast uh, and knew what I was doing. So it's uh, everybody, almost without exception, uh, people I talked to, they would say, you must be Tim. Uh, and I must admit, I've got my photo up on the website. Uh, I had a live tracking app so you could see exactly where I was if you were bothering to follow along. Uh, and it was good to actually talk to people and, and hear that uh, what I'm doing with the podcast was being appreciated. So thank you to those people that stopped and said hello. Um, so it's interesting in the interviews from this section. So this, for all the southbounders, was the first section of the track. Uh, and, and for me, my fitness level is the best that it's been in years. Um, and it's it's interesting to hear people who had only just started, in most cases, a matter of days before, and finding out how they were viewing the track. So um, it's it's quite interesting uh, to see how things are. And I uh, I actually do discuss that in some of the podcast and the podcast posts that I'm doing myself. Good morning. It's seven o'clock on the seventh of August. And I've just left my hotel room at the Dwelling Up Community Hotel. And I'm heading off for my destination today, which is Mount Wells. Um, given that the uh, the shelters between um, 
Dwelling Up and um, Kalamunda are probably on average around about 15 kilometres apart, give or take a few kilometres here or there. Uh, double hutting it is certainly a lot easier. Um, today's my biggest day, I've got 36 and a half kilometres approximately to go to Mount Wells. So I'll end up at Shadora uh, Shelter uh, around about lunchtime, just before lunchtime. I'll have an early lunch there or a break there uh, and then head off to, to Mount Wells later in the afternoon. Mount Wells is going to be a bit of a climb. Um, it's uh, certainly looking at the terrain map between uh, here and uh, uh, here and there. You know, it's sort of the end of the day. I've got a steady climb up to the, uh, the firewatch station at Mount Wells. So it's going to... Uh, uh, give me a good good sort of workout uh, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to get away at seven from here on in I'm averaging approximately about 30 kilometer days so it's uh, uh, a bit easier than some of the stuff I've done over the last couple of weeks been a good stay been a good rest uh, certainly appreciated it my feet certainly appreciated it gives them a chance to deflate slightly uh, for those people that have done multi-week hiking, you know, your feet tend to get a bit bigger and they swell up a bit. Um, and the skin's sort of toughening around certain areas as well. So, um, um, it, you know, it's nice to have the, uh, the chance for them to sort of have a bit of a rest and relaxation. So, Dwelling Up's not a particularly big town. Uh, but it's not small like, say, Donnelly River or some of the others are either. So it's actually quite decent. Uh, nice little town, really good restaurants uh, and cafes. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Okay, uh, I will head off into the sunshine today. It was raining last night. Uh, and it looks like um, uh, things are actually being quite decent for the morning. So I haven't had to have have the rain gear on. I will talk to you later on in the day. It's 11.30 on the 7th of September and I'm here at Shadora Hut, uh, just arrived uh, after doing just on 20 kilometres uh, from um, dwelling up. Reasonably good trip all the way through, um, no real big hills at all, it was relatively flat with a few little ups and downs. Um, it was another one of those mornings where you know, I was following a railway track and I can understand that you don't want to go too close to that, whether it's working or not, just in case. Uh, but sometimes it was like um, the, the track would take you down to the railway track to show you something interesting like one of the sidings or one of the old little villages uh, and then take you back into the bush again. And you, and you knew that the railway track was only, only a matter of metres away or the road was a matter of metres away. So it was just odd, you know, some of the, some of the times we were almost weaving backwards and forwards, uh, and you think, well, if I was doing this on the road, it'd be a much more straight line. Um, good vegetation, some of it was not so crash hot, others were very good, and, and, you know, and given that it, it has been raining on and off the, this morning, it was very similar to... Uh, the, the sort of stuff that I like coming out of Collie. And I think, you know, had it been a nice sunny day, I would have appreciated it just as much. Although there's not as much uh, things in flower at this, this point. Um, Shadora Hut's um, 
again, timber hut uh, with two bunks. Uh, in this case here, the, the timber uh, slat goes all the way across the bottom. Uh, and there's a table undercover just in front of the actual sleeping area. Uh, and then outside you've got a fire pit uh, with um, a couple of seats and additional logs for seating and then another table. So very nice little hut. I think um, it would be quite a, a good little hut, when, particularly when the sun's out. Uh, water tank's actually behind the hut in this case rather than the side. Um, and um, there's a, a little sign down in front of the hut, probably by about 25 metres, saying Old Well. Um, which is just off down off a short little walk. The track runs right past, so you don't have to sort of double back out again to join onto the track. I'll just walk walk out about 10 metres and turn left rather than coming from the right. Um, and the toilets uh, are probably around about 25 metres away, and it's it's fairly easy to see. Sometimes the toilets seem to be 50 or 60 metres away, and then and they're hard to spot. Sometimes this one's quite easy to to locate. So lunchtime, uh, and then I've got a roughly 15-kilometre journey to Mount Wells this afternoon. Uh, and I like it when, I, when the mornings are bigger than the afternoon. It just makes it seem a bit easier. It's uh, quarter past six um, on the... Uh, 7th of uh, August. I'm here at um, Mount Wells campsite which was an old fire watching station um, from many years ago so I'm basically up the top of, the, of Mount Wells. The journey out was actually quite good today. Uh, it was pretty flat overall and looking at the elevation chart from Mount Wells I thought oh this is going to be a steep climb and yes it was a steady uphill climb but it was nothing particularly difficult. Uh, I've done harder sections on this trip already so um, it's uh, quite a nice view up here uh, although trying to get a photo of the sunset is not going to work because there's this lovely big bank of cloud over where the sun uh, is slowly going down. Um, small campsite uh, because it is it's a, uh, a repurposed uh, site as opposed to a purpose-built development track site um, the uh, uh, it's a small cottage uh, that consists of three rooms so there's one room that can sleep probably four people uh, there's another room just off uh, next to the entrance which should sleep one maybe two at a really tight squeeze um, uh, and then there's a uh, a central room which is sort of tables and chairs uh, well the kitchen area as well as an outdoor setting area um, in warmer weather it'd be quite nice uh, but after today's rain it is a bit cool uh, and the wind is a bit cool as well being up the top of the hill had a busy sort of afternoon um, from um, Shadora through to here uh, past four separate hikers uh, all travelling separately but at in similar sort of paces. So a couple that stayed at Mount Wells last night who said uh, the fog rolled in in the middle of the night or the mist and it was uh, almost couldn't couldn't find the way back to the hut from the toilet, it was so dense. Um, and a couple of others who, uh, in fact three others, um, who were um, travelling uh, solo. So um, the campsite at Shador is actually going to be reasonably reasonably busy tonight. 
Here at Mount Wells, there's a, a couple, husband and wife, uh, who are doing the Bibbulmun track, uh, for, uh, starting in Kalamunda. Uh, and there's also myself, so the numbers work out quite well. And, and that's the issue with something like Mount Wells. It's small. Uh, there's plenty of areas to put a tent if you need to, um, but certainly um, I've gotten used to sleeping inside now, so I was more than happy to, uh, to be inside and um, not a sealed room, but you know, inside and out of the elements. Rained on and off through the day today, um, so uh, 35 kilometres roughly. Uh, which is my biggest remaining day, so I've now got six days left, and I'm under 200 kilometres. In fact, um, I'm at about 200, sorry, about 174 kilometres left to go in the remaining six days. Um, so it's um, um, slightly shorter days. I think tomorrow I've got a 32 kilometre day, uh, again going through to Gringer campsite. Um, but otherwise, um, uh, there's, uh, um, uh, it, it's a pretty, it's a bit more relaxed, at least by my pace over the next few days. Talking to the few people that I've passed about the Mount, Mount Wells, apparently the uphill bit coming from the north was a lot harder. Um, so I think, uh, as I said, for me, it was actually quite easy coming up, um, the way I did. Uh, and nowhere near as, as difficult as I expected it to be. Um, going back down tomorrow, I'm basically walking down the management road for at least a good part of it, uh, and then passing through two huts tomorrow, uh, as I said, to staying at Gringer tomorrow night. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's one of those funny sort of things that... Um, um, it's almost like when you have a rest day or rest day and a half in town, it's almost like a start, starting a whole new hike. Uh, it's getting getting over the uh, the 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 process of okay, I've got to, got to start walking and uh, what time am I going to start and getting getting into the swing of things. In some respects, it'd be easier to keep on going and not having rest days. However, having said that, I think the rest days have been quite quite important. They've certainly helped my feet, um, kept my legs happy. I'm starting to get sore knees, uh, but not nothing nothing uncomfortable. It's just they're they're certainly noticing, you know, walking almost a thousand kilometres in uh, in five weeks. So it's um, um, I'm I don't know. It's 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 sort of starting to come to the stage where um, you know I, I'm I'm realising the trip is over basically next Thursday night. So it's Friday night now. So I'm due to finish next Thursday uh, in Kalamunda. Um, and, um, you know, it, over the last four weeks, it's been, been, you know, thinking about next week, the next week, the next week. Uh, but the next week has always been hiking. So um, now it's like, okay, well, next week if the trip is over, what am I doing while I'm in Perth? Uh, so it's sort of, it's a different mindset. Um, but um, still enjoying the hikes, uh, having some good days. Unfortunately, the weather forecast between now and when I leave is not particularly good. Uh, it's pretty much rain every day between now and the time I finish. I'm hoping that changes between uh, uh, over the next few days. Uh, some days are going to be better than others, but uh, certainly it's... Uh, it's not the best as far as clear sunny weather.
Okay, I'm here at Mount Wells campsite, uh, and there's actually three of us here tonight. Uh, I've got myself and another couple who are here heading south on their journey, uh, and they've been kind enough to have a bit of a chat to me. So get them to introduce themselves uh, and tell us a bit about who they are. Um, my name's Radar Barker, and I'm 59 years old. I live in Port Kennedy in Perth. And the whole idea of this trip is that we're trying to get ourselves into a cave in Vietnam and the main criteria is hiking. Trekking. Trekking. And hi, my name's Shirley Barker. I'm 53 and same as Radar. The reason that why we're doing the trek is to, um, yeah, hopefully increase our chances of being able to do the trek in Vietnam. Okay, and why, why the Bibbleman track? Um, it's close. Well, it was close to us. Uh, a lot of people talk about it, and it was a challenge, a, a big challenge. Um, didn't quite make it the way it uh, was supposed to go due to injury, but uh, we're still going to cover quite a bit of it, and it has been challenging. It's it's been good. All right. And what's what's been the what's been the hardest thing for for you for the, on the, on the with your time on the trail? Well, for me, the hardest bit was the first five days, which was numerous hills coming out of Kalamunda. Um, yeah, a couple of well, not mountains. They're called mountains, or they're not really <laughs> mountains. <laughs> but a couple of mountains uh, within very close proximity. And um, But, yeah, just that that part, the, the hills. And overweight. We and we too much weight. And we started off with too much weight. Do you know how much you, how much your packs did weigh when you started? Yeah. 22 kilos. And mine was 19 and a half. Okay, that's not, that's not too bad, actually. I've seen a lot heavier packs on the trail. <laughs> so, yes. so um, Yeah, but our intentions was to be between 16 and 18, and we blew that. <laughs> that was including food as well? Yes. yes. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty good, though. That's pretty good. I'm, I mean, for me, with seven days worth of food, I'm around about 18 and a half. So you, yeah. you know, you're, doing, you're doing pretty well weight-wise. As I said, I've seen some pretty heavy packs in, this, in the last four weeks. So. Oh, I'm sure it's going to, you know, over time, that'll change. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've done training for about 12 months to go on this, uh, but not real long, extensive training. So to go from just, you know, a double hut overnighter to trying to do a thousand k's in one hit yeah the packs were too heavy yeah yeah as time goes by it'll improve and i think too probably uh advantageous in training would have been probably maybe three or four overnighters as uh, in one go as opposed to just one overnighter because at least you know then the next night you're going to be home in your own bed whereas and your feet really don't get start getting sore until yeah you know yeah. third day morning onwards kind of thing Especially the top end of uh, the Bimbleman track causes a lot of rock, a lot of hills and a lot of rock, which hammered hammered the crap out of our feet. Once we got out of the um, out of the hills and other rocks and that, our feet have settled down. Still sore, but certainly settled down quite a bit. Okay. Now, what um, what's been your favourite part of the trip so far? Surviving <laughs> so far, <laughs> this far, um, not, not dropping out. No, for me, I, I mean, I think the um, unfortunately we haven't met too many people, um, but just when wildflower seasons, that's nice, and um, just yeah, just pushing myself, I think for me, yeah. 
um, and obviously husband and wife traveling together. You know, that could be a bit tense sometimes. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask that. I, uh, one of the things I found, we, we, uh, we did the Larapinta Trail a couple of years ago, which was a two-week trip or just, just a bit over two weeks. And one of the questions we got to ask is, what do you talk about as a husband and wife for two weeks? Uh, I mean, is that an issue for you guys or you just, it's just something you just do? Well, well we work because we work together all the time. It it hasn't been an issue for us. However, when we first started, we were actually carrying a rock box, which was one of the things that uh, we eventually got rid of when we got rid of the weight. So we're listening to music most of the time until we uh, actually stopped into the huts and, and, and then we talk. Once we got rid of the rock box, we don't talk a lot, but you know, we go along and then something will happen. We'll talk and then we'll wander along again and then something will happen or we'll see something. Um, but, but because yeah, we're quite we happy to, you know, not talk, but we're also usually we find we talk when we either stop for a you know, cuppa or lunch or at or night. Something interesting, I yeah. See. But because I'm the slow person out of the two of us. Radar usually walks behind me and I set the pace and um, yeah, there's, it's a bit hard to talk to someone when they're behind you. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I must admit, I'm, we, my, my wife and I are the same. We're happy to talk or to not talk. Uh, we do argue on trips. Um, I mean, that, that happens. It, doesn't, you know, it, it happens at home, so it's going to happen on a, on a hike. Um, and I think it's, um, I, I don't know, I think you guys have obviously been together for a while uh, and I think you obviously know each other reasonably well, but it's, I find it really funny when people do say, what do you talk about for so long? Uh, and it's like, uh, well, it's just, it's just, this is just what it is. Yeah. Yeah, we have been, we've been together 20, 21 years or something. So, um, but yeah, we, we um, you know, either talk or we don't talk. I probably talk a bit more than Rad I would like sometimes, but anyway. <laughs> no, I just listen. <laughs> so, it works. Uh, all right. Now, as far as equipment's concerned, um, what's been the piece of equipment that you've been most glad that you've bought? For me, it's my sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah, so um, I don't normally feel the cold, but I have felt the cold since we've been hiking, and I did have another sleeping bag that I bought, um, but we did a few overnighters, and it just wasn't cut in the mustard. So I bought a, a, a thicker, longer, wider one, um, so yeah, so that's probably my, because you just can't sleep, you know, for six weeks cold. No, no, so, no, no, you're not going to last very long doing that. No, so for me, that, and probably my walking poles. Okay, well, yeah. what about for you, Rado? Yeah, me, probably the, uh, the mat, my sleeping mat, um, it was okay when I was younger, we used to just sleep on the ground, but, uh, at 59, <laughs> the body isn't quite what it used to be. So I did have uh, a similar mat to Shirl's, uh, just a bit smaller, but it's noisy, extremely noisy when you move around. So I just moved back to my old fame mattress that I actually did use when I was in the army, and it's uh, it's actually lighter and it doesn't make a sound. Yeah. Well, I think that's it. As long as, long as you're happy with it, that's the main thing. Yeah. If it works for you, it works. What about equipment fails, things that you've bought that you think, why did I bother bringing this, or just hasn't done what you've expected it to do? Um, it was be the sleeping bag first, because it didn't... Yeah, my, my first one would have been the sleeping bag. It was a, I bought a two to three season one, which I, given that I don't normally feel the cold, I thought it wouldn't be a problem. But um, yeah, unfortunately it was, and no matter what I wore underneath it, it didn't keep me warm and then the other thing I bought was the long coat like long puffer jacket coat which was great 
as far as warmth, but it was terrible for weight. It was like a kilo and I couldn't fold it into my bag and and that kind of thing. So probably even though it was great, it wasn't... <laughs> wasn't suitable for yeah. what you needed. No, not, I mean, if you were <laughs> travelling and not hiking, it would be fantastic. But, um, yeah, for hiking, no. So Yeah. Uh, we brought the shovel... <laughs> and we and we we dumped the shovel because that was excess weight because we ha- weren't didn't ever use it anyway so we got rid of the shovel. Um, we did bring the started off with port and then dropped the weight from two kilos of port to a kilo of scotch and now it's to nothing. So <laughs> we, we get our top ups when we hit the towns. Um, it was nice having the scotch, especially with it being as cold as it was. But it was really it was weight that we really didn't need to be carrying yeah that, that's the thing i think i, I, I was talking it was, we were talking earlier on and i've seen a few hikers that they go for high 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 quality alcohol they go for sambuca or things like that which really high high alcohol content with with very small small amounts required yes um but yeah you either you either bring it or you don't but it's it is extra weight that you carry yeah yeah we'd love to have kept it but no 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 was that, it was yeah it was if we kept all the weight that we had, then it was just a, a recipe for disaster for us, especially starting out on such a big hike. So we'll build our way up and get our scotch back again somewhere <laughs> a bit further down the track. Line the load on other areas. Yeah. And, and all, we'll also look at our gear that we have got because there is gear that is lighter than we're probably carrying. So as, as time goes by, we'll probably slowly change some of our gear to more appropriate gear i think that's that's always the thing i mean you know you can always go out and say right money aside i'll go and buy the lightest lightest gear that like that i can that 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 i can find that'll do what i want it to do and you know you, the, the downside is you get to pay for it yeah uh, yes. so you know you either do that or you you do it slowly and replace bits of gear as you yeah. go yeah yeah all right and i suppose one last final thing um what would you say to people looking at doing the bibbleman track i would uh make sure you do if you, especially if you're a beginner, make sure you do plenty of practice prior to it. Uh, there's a lot of blogs out there to read that'll uh, give you help you with the information. Probably the main thing, main problem we've got is the amount of food. A lot of people were writing about you've got to eat 3,000 calories a day and all this sort of stuff. Unfortunately, that's okay for some people. It doesn't work for everybody. And I, I think that uh, you should really... Uh, get a few days in in your training to try and work out what type of or how much food you're actually going to eat. There's no point in carrying a lot of food if you're not going to eat it. No, I think I've, you know, but for me, I, uh, I the amount of amount of food I've sent back home, and this is stuff that I will devour when I am at home. And I find every hike I do is different. I just find that you know what I ate last hike <coughs> doesn't necessarily work for what I what I eat this yeah. hike. Uh, so it's just uh, you know, you've got to you've got to eat what you like and sometimes it just, just works and sometimes it doesn't and pick your season yeah summer is definitely especially on Bibbleman tracks summer is not the time to be hiking on, no. on the Bibbleman yeah. and I think for if someone's wanting to do the Bibbleman is to um, don't exceed your or try not to exp- or what is it to exceed your expectations or something you know like do you know the single hut at the beginning you know not think oh well we you know we've done a double hut before you know it's all great but you know there's i think single hutting um well for us anyway is, is more beneficial because you actually want to enjoy it you know you don't want to just do it for this well 
you don't want to do it for the sake of doing you do want to see there's lots of beautiful scenery and meet lots of people and you know it's not a torture session it's a it's a nice walk that may take six to eight weeks and yeah that's what i think yep Okay, so we've been talking to B1 and B2, as they've put their names down in the trail book, uh, from Perth. So thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Tim. Thanks very much. It's uh, 10 to 6 on the 8th of September. I'm here at Gringer Creek campsite. Uh, this morning I left... Uh, Matt Wells uh, campsite uh, just around about 7.30 bit of a late start for me um, and headed off towards White Horse Hills campsite which I got to around about 11.30 in the day um, today was a shorter day than yesterday it worked out being just on 31 kilometers um, but in some respects it was a harder day not because of the hills themselves but because there was a lot more rock on the trail and there was a lot more washed out trail so you had to be careful about where you were putting your footing uh, which meant a slower sort of day and I think also last weekend because I'm only doing 30, 31 kilometre days I tend to be dawdling a bit so I got in here at uh, to the campsite uh, around about 4, 4.30ish um, and, um, and now I had dinner uh, starting to see a lot more people, uh, past six people today, uh, two that were at the White Horse Hills hut um, and another four in between who were heading towards that, that hut for the night. Um, the vegetation certainly changed after Ma Matt Wells. Uh, it's almost like the top of Matt Wells marked a a delineation point and, and vegetation did change so I'm starting to get a lot of different plants flowering that I haven't seen in the past um, and um, it's uh, it's certainly uh, what I was expecting at least on this part of the track um, uh, as the northern part of the track tends to start flowering first White Horse Hills hut was a reasonable sort of hut uh, again double bunks with um, the dirt floor in between and the table in between same as Gringer Creek uh, and um, it's uh, not a bad view out of there nothing spectacular but not a bad little area um, uh, and Gringer Creek's very much the same it's uh, one of the older huts uh, double double bunks again with the table in between uh, overall the weather stayed pretty good today uh, I um, uh, didn't uh, I was actually expecting rain for a lot of the day and um, a car, apart from a couple of short showers it was actually reasonably good um, one of the things that um, I'm finding or I'm starting to think about with this trip is um, and I mentioned it the other day is that um, I'm almost treating uh, each section as a as an independent trip rather than looking at it as a, as a 1,000 kilometre trip. So in this case, I'm looking at this section, which is a, a 210 kilometre section. I'm tended to be treating it as a whole new hike. And it's much easier when you break it down into shorter sections. Uh, from there, I tend to break each day down rather than saying, looking at a 30 or 35 kilometre day, I tend to be looking at morning and afternoon. So this morning, as an example, I had about a 14 kilometre hike to Whitehorse Hills Hut. Uh, and then a 17-kilometre um, a hike to Gringer. So I tend to treat them as two separate hikes. Um, 
as I was approaching um, uh, Gringer, I came across another, what I thought was another Bibbleman Track hiker, and it ended up being Steve Sirtis from the Bibbleman Track Foundation. Um, I've actually got my whereabouts published online, and it's actually real time. So he was in the area, uh, knew where I was approximately, so walked in to meet me. Uh, and then he walked back to the hut as well, so it was good to actually meet him um, because I'd only ever talked to him on the phone before. So we had a bit of a chat about the hut, about the hut we're coming to here, and about the track in general. Um, <coughs> this hut, uh, sorry, the um, the people that I came across today all were doing ends to end to ends, starting in um, Kalamunda and heading south, and I came across one couple. Uh, Andy and Sandy, I believe it was, uh, who had been listening to the podcast, uh, and they um, uh, they were they were quite interesting actually. They were saying that the thing they li- they most like uh, equipment-wise that they were carrying with them was their arm packs, and I know a lot of people like the counterbalance packs with the, the, the extra weights at the front, and I've yet to try them out. Um, but they they gave me a new definition of double hutting, and that's where you spend two nights at one hut. Uh, and that, so it makes sense. Uh, not everyone is doing two huts in one day, or even three huts in one day. Sometimes they're just taking their time and and just take you know it. Uh, they'll do whatever's comfortable for them. And if that means two two days at a hut, that's fine. Um, tonight at Gringer, there is uh, four others uh, scouts um, who are doing a, a shorter hike in preparation for uh, the Cape to Cape walk later this month. Um, and certainly the huts are starting to get busy from now on. So in talking to the hikers I passed today, there were six people at Gringer last night, uh, and I'm pretty much expecting to see people uh, at every hut from here on in. Uh, I'll be surprised if I, I actually get a hut to myself between now and when I finish the hike. One thing I discovered this morning, I had actually planned on staying at Mundaring Weir Hotel. Um, that the staying there was the secondary bit. It was more about having dinner and breakfast. Uh, and I discovered that they only do dinner some days of the week. They do lunch most days of the week. And unfortunately, dinner is not an option for me on the, on the day that I'm going through. So it may be that I might actually do a bigger day the day before. Uh, get one hut closer uh, and then arrive at Mundaring Weir for lunch and have a lunch and then head on to the next hut and that will make for a very short day around about nine or ten kilometers to finish off the next day. Okay talk to you later. Okay so I'm here at Gringer Hut uh, and as I mentioned uh, just previously there's uh, four scouts that are staying here and I'm just uh, one of, I was having a chat to one of them, so I'll get him to introduce himself, uh, tell us some, a bit about himself, and then we'll go through and ask him a series of questions. Yeah, um, I'm Ben, 17 years of age, been in Scouts for eight years now. Um, this section of the hike completes the first map and a half for me, um, so done a fair bit of hiking, um, done a full overnight, like hiking from five in the afternoon till five the next morning um so that was a long bib track so that was definitely a good bit um yeah so is the plan to do the whole track at some point or uh... yeah ideally i would like to at some point get end to end um as a full full set so start to finish um 
whether that happens now or later on in life, not sure. It's certainly a lot easier when you tend to live in the local area. Uh, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, pick some time and, and come over and do it. At least you can say, well, I can do a couple of weeks here or a couple of weeks there as you go. And, and I know a number of people in Western Australia who will do it over a period of years, and, and that's fine. It's sort of uh, nothing says you have to do it all in one go. Yeah, I've I've met people who who do the sec do one section, and then go home for a few weeks, and then come back and do the next section, and they section to section the end to end. Yeah, um, opposed to end to ending one one straight shot. All right. Now you were saying earlier before this is a bit of a training run for a hike you've got later in the month. So what's what's that about? Yeah. So we're looking at doing well. We are going to be doing the Cape to Cape, which is 128 k's along uh, the coast of Western Australia. Um, mostly beach and a bit of rock, a bit of other stuff, but yeah, usually no, 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 more, no more than about two kilometres from the ocean. Um, and this is for some, I've done the Cape to Cape before personally. Um, the other people going on the hike haven't, um, and some of them we haven't seen hike before, so it was kind of making sure that we knew. They could. They were capable of doing a 30k day, which is what we've got a few of. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, and how have you found the trip site? So, you have, actually, how many how many days have you been out for the, for this this trip you're doing now? Yes. Yeah, so we left last night, which was Friday. Um, left Sullivan Rock at about oh, almost eight o'clock um, in the afternoon, and then hiked into Mount Cook. Got there at 9:30, 10. Um, set up camp very quickly, went to bed early, and then we're up early this morning, um, and then actually stopped on the mount, top of Mount Cook to eat breakfast. So we packed everything up, stopped at Mount Cook for breakfast, and then continued on to Narang, which was the next huddle along. Um, got lost along the way, but that's all uh, <laughs> part of the fun. And then, yeah, ended up here at Ginger Creek. Okay, and you're finishing tomorrow morning, I believe? Yeah, so we're finishing tomorrow morning at North Bannister, which is the short uh, 1.5, 2k spur trail yep. out of um, Ginger Creek. Okay. Um, so what's been the most enjoyable part of this, this trip that you've done so far? Uh, probably walking up Mount Cook this morning, that was pretty good. Um, Did, was, had, it, was it sunny or...? No, it was <laughs> so... It was all foggy, um, which kind of made it a little bit more interesting because I had done it once before, um, just up to the top of Mount Cook and back down. But the fog made it kind of like a different climate, um, made it not so much like it was Perth anymore. Yeah. I was up the top of Mount Wells this morning and apparently the fog rolls in every night. So it's sort of, uh, it's, it's quite funny when you go outside and it's like, oh, it's foggy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, what's been the least enjoyable part of the trip? Uh, the last four kilometres or so. <laughs> <laughs> why, and why is that? Uh, it was just a bit slow moving, um, just trying to get to camp before lunch, have lunch at camp, opposed to having it on the track, yep. save a bit of time. Um, everyone was a bit sore, didn't really do much preparation in terms of muscles or any of that, just come out and done it. So how many kilometres have you, would you have covered over the, over the trip then? Uh, so it'll be close to 40 k's pretty, over, pretty good for a short trip so yeah 30 k's today um is about 8 k's last night um and then about 2 k's out tomorrow okay um now as far as equipment's concerned is um what's been the, the piece of equipment you brought that you um that you've you're glad you've really had yeah um 
my tent. My tent's been really good. We've got uh, Denali Zempier, I think they're called, tents. Um, and then the other one is my sleeping mat, which is a Cedar Summit um, compact mat, which, in, which comes down to about the size of a small football and inflates to uh, 12 centimetres thick. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good mat, which I highly recommend. Um, and yeah, the, the other important equipment has been speakers. So we, we hike with music, um, to this, to the disgrace of other hikers, but, uh, we pretty much have it blaring start to finish. Um, unless it's nighttime, we are getting close to a camp. We do actually consider others sometimes. Um, all right. What about what? What is there any been any piece of equipment that you that you've just been a waste of time bringing, or you or you just had been a bit of a fail for you? Um, in terms of waste of time, I probably could have cut down on my clothes a little bit. Probably bought and one extra pair. I probably didn't really need. Yeah. Um, other than that, most of it I've either not had to use because I don't want to use it, as in it's there for emergencies mainly. Yeah. Um, yeah but it's still important to have or I've used it because I just need it um, yeah. just in normal practice kind of thing. So when you so when you go hiking on the Cape to Cape, so that's what, a five-day trip, is it? Uh, so I think, yeah, last time I did it, we did it uh, five nights, which is six days. Yeah. I, I think this time we're looking at extending it an extra night and going six nights, seven days instead. So how much, do you know how much you pack away for that trip? Um, so last time it was approximately 18, 20 kilograms. Yep. Um, I'm suspecting it'll be about, be about the same because, so we do one food drop in the middle, generally so do three days and then get a food drop yep. um, by a supporting leader that's down there. All right. Now, one final thing is what would you, what would you like to say to people who are thinking about doing the Bibbulmun track as a walk? Yeah. Um... Well, I've, so I've done map and a half now, now that I've got to here, in fact, um, and it's been really good. Um, it's definitely challenging, which is what you want. Well, I find that's what I want. Um, no point just having an easy walk. Um, it's really nice environment to be in, bit of rain, bit of sun, bit of bit cold, sometimes a bit warm, but it's all, it all adds up to being pretty good conditions, bibble and track. Um, I've gone down south a bit and the conditions down there are pretty good. Um, you also get some of the beach sections, which some of them are pretty spectacular, um, particularly the white sand along some of them. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I didn't have too much too much of that. I only had the, the very last day with good conditions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I can, I can, it I, would be, uh, yeah. wouldn't be quite as good uh, when it was raining or windy along the beach, um, exposed to the elements there. All right. Thanks very much. No problem. All right, so um, uh, we've been talking to Ben. Ben. Um, so Ben, as I said, and, and, and his and his uh, friends will be finishing their hike tomorrow morning uh, before heading out on the the Cape to Cape later on this month. So thanks very much, that Ben. Much appreciated. Good evening. It's Sunday evening. Uh, it's ten past six, uh, and it's the 9th of September. I'm here at. Uh, Mount Cook campsite which is at the base of Mount Cook uh, and I've just gone through and had dinner uh, and partly got myself set up uh, and there's one other hiker here at the same time tonight as well so it's been a while where, where I've only had to share with one hiker 
Today started off, um, I left Gringer campsite around about 6.30, uh, did the one kilometre walk into um, Three Ways Tavern, uh, w- hoping to get a big breakfast. Uh, but um, unfortunately when I got there, the cook hadn't turned up uh, at that stage, uh, so I ended up just having some toasted banana bread and a hot chocolate. Um, the inconsistency at the moment with three ways is you're never quite sure when the timings are so you know if they open at seven it's nice to know that you can actually get a breakfast at seven uh, so I really couldn't afford to wait around it might have only been another five or ten minutes but I just couldn't afford to wait around any longer to, to have a breakfast uh, but everyone I've talked to raves about the food and they said it's really um, big meals, you struggle to get through it. It's it's basic you know, tavern food but uh, uh, that's all you typically want when you're out hiking. So I think once they get their, their timings right, I think it'll work well for them. I uh, actually left Gringer at 8 o'clock. By the time I got back there and left Gringer at 8 o'clock for having done two kilometres already um, and headed on towards Narang. Uh, and then on towards uh, Mount Cook uh, campsite, which is where I'm staying tonight. Today was a bit of a busy day. Uh, All up, I came across 18 other hikers. 11 of those were people who were doing um, just um, uh, weekend trips. Another three were doing just uh, trips up and down from Mount Cook just to have a look at the summit. Uh, and the remaining four were doing uh, were southbounding as far as uh, doing the Billman track. Um, so I, I must admit, even though it is Sunday and I knew it was Sunday, it's lost meaning for me what that means. And I, you know, I forget that people get out and do do uh, activities on the weekend. Uh, and just because today was Sunday, I hadn't thought much about it. And getting close into Perth, we're starting to get a lot more people. You know, it's, I'm not going days and not seeing people, which is what I did on the southern end of the track. Um, getting It was a really sunny day today. Uh, it was nice not to have, to have to worry about the rain gear for the entire day. Uh, and in fact, it was just bordering on being that tiny bit too hot. Uh, not quite, but it was like, uh, okay, you know, I wouldn't mind stripping a layer off somewhere. Uh, but it was, you know, I was just done that borderline on that sort of temperature. Um, to Narang was pretty flat and pretty easy going and I got there fairly quickly so it took me about uh, four hours to do the uh, I think it was about 15 16 kilometers to Narang um, and I was doing it pretty quickly um, and then the trip this afternoon was a bit slower and that was the one up Mount Cook um, now Mount Cook was one of these funny sort of uh, mountains and it is a mountain i came across one of the hikers just before narang and i you know asked him what he was doing and he said uh i said okay you're doing you're doing an end-to-end and he said he was um until mount cook and i said oh what's what's the problem with mount cook and his response was it tore me a new one Uh, and most people will know what that means uh, but he was saying that he just wasn't physically prepared for the, the exertion that mount cook put on him so I had visions in my mind about how big and how difficult this map would be. And I talked to a couple of other hikers who seemed to give me different opinions. And um, I got there and thought, this is about half the size of the mountain I usually train on. So again, it's a matter of perceptions, which we talked about in the last podcast. 
Um, the gentleman who obviously had a hard time um, hadn't started his track that long ago from Kalamunda, so he still hadn't had the fitness, whereas I've had four and a half weeks to build mine up. So walking up um, Mount Cook, I stopped once, and that was just to have a drink of water, but otherwise I didn't find it that difficult. I know talking to Steve from the Bibbleman Track Foundation, he said there are actually supposed to be about eight metal plates with um, markers uh, pointing the way uh, uh, and he said a number of people have had problems and are getting going off track a bit and I can see where that would be a problem if you're coming from north to south going from south to north the track is really easy to follow and you get to the big rock sheet and you've got all these little rock cans all the way up it is it is so obvious you'd have to be walking up the hill with your eyes closed not to be able to find where the track is coming back down the other way it would be a bit more difficult if there was a visibility wasn't too good um, you might have a bit more difficulty uh, and it's more about where the track actually ends um, going the ends off the rock sheet and goes back into the bush um, so it, it, it's if you pay attention you shouldn't have too much problems but I can see where people could potentially have difficulties but as I said Mount Cook doesn't even rate in my top three as far as difficult hills and mountains that I've done on this trip uh, the one leading up to from Possum Springs heading towards uh, uh, Swamp Oak uh, that by far was the most difficult hill I've done and even that, that was probably the first day that I noticed my fitness was such a level that I didn't really need to, to stop too much. Um, uh, and again, it's more an issue for people northbounding. For southbounding, you've got a steep descent, but your ascent on the other side of the hill is full of, a, uh, of graded switchbacks, and it's a lot easier going up the other side of the hill. Um... I think it's going to be one of those sort of things that there are now a lot of people on the track. So tomorrow's Monday. Uh, I don't expect there to be as many people because everyone's back at work and back at school. But I still am seeing a lot of uh, 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 through hikers coming through. Uh, and in fact, there's a, a gentleman here tonight called Rick <coughs> uh, who uh, is doing the track at the moment. And he originally was doing an end-to-end um, but his son had an injury, so he um, he's deciding he's just going to do part of the track and not the whole track. So I think I'm going to start seeing more people regularly. One of the things that's thrown me a bit is um, I'm using the Gut Hook app uh, on this trip, and I'll talk about that and I'll review that at the end of this trip. But I found a lot of people are using it, and it is a really good app. It, it really, if you want to try and work out where you are, or if you've gone off track, this is the way to do it. Um, but what I am finding though is for this last section from dwelling up to Kalamunda, Guthook was telling me I had about 198 kilometers. Whereas you look at the Bimbleman track, which is using Google Earth, um, it was telling me 210 kilometers. So there's a bit of a discrepancy about distances. Um, so according to Guthook, I've got about 103 kilometers left, which realistically that means for me three days and not the four days I've got allowed. So I'll see how it goes. Um, as I've said previously, I was planning on getting, staying a night at Mundaring Weir Hotel. Uh, and while I can still do that, they don't serve dinner the night I actually get in there. So that was sort of defeats the purpose. 
Uh, I'm looking at trying to get to Mundaring Weir for lunch, which means I either need to pick up um, a hut somewhere uh, today or t- tomorrow or the next day, or I le- on the on the uh, the Wednesday I leave at say six o'clock or six thirty. Uh, and get there around about sort of two o'clock while they're still serving lunch for a meal before heading on to the next hut. And if I did that, it would make for a long day that day, but it would make for a very short day. I think it's from Hewitt's, I believe, um, which would give me you know, a very short day into uh, um, into Kalamunda the next day. So I'll, I'll see how I go over the next couple of days. I may do a longer day tomorrow. I'll just see what the conditions are like and how I'm feeling. All up going well. Um, I'm finding that each of these weeks I tend to be thinking a week ahead. So a week ahead for me now is I finished the trip. I'm in Perth. My wife Jill has come over uh, and she actually arrives in Perth on Saturday. Uh, We're just going to spend some time doing some short walks around uh, Perth and um, visiting friends and people we want to talk to. So um, it's um, I, my mind is starting to get off the track, um, and it's almost in autopilot um, on the days when I'm walking. And the vegetation certainly has changed. I'm starting to get little, little different ground orchids now, and I'm also starting to get um, different things in flower. So it's been quite good. Uh, you know, certainly this end of the track has got a quite quite a lot to offer. So that's me. I am just about to uh, finish up and I'll probably head to bed in the next few minutes. Uh, and off to tomorrow, the plan, um, at least that, that what I'd planned to do was to go to Canning Campsite. But as I said, I may end up going one campsite on. So I'll see how I go through the daytime. Uh, and tomorrow when I do this, uh, uh, my daily podcast uh, uh Uh, review. Um, I'll see where I'm up to. Talk to you later. Okay, so we're here at um, uh, Mount Cook Hut and as I mentioned um, uh, in my daily write-up there's a uh, another hiker here whose name's Rick Um, and Rick's been kind enough to uh, uh, talk to me for the podcast so I'll get Rick to introduce himself and to um, Tell us a bit about why he's doing the track. Hi, my name's uh, Rick Mill and I'm from Bustleton and uh, I've had an ambition to do this for a number of years and uh, finally got organised to do it. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, with my son, unfortunately injured his back and so I've decided to do um, just the first two weeks on my own solo hike and so far it's been very good, even, uh, you know, quite surprising uh, as it's the first solo hike I've done. All right, so you started in Kalamunda. Where's the finish point for you now? In Dwelling Up. Okay. Um, and um, you're, uh, are you doing one hut a day or two huts a day or you, you're varying it? I'm varying it. Uh, two huts a day uh, in some places and from now to Dwelling Up just one hut a day. Okay. Um, now, what's been the highlight of the trip so far for you? Uh, the wildflowers and also the people you meet along the track. Yeah, I must admit it's sort of, uh, now I actually am starting to meet more people along the track. It's been quite good uh, hearing people's stories and what they're doing. What about the low point? Um, I really can't think of any particular low point. Um, probably my most difficult day was uh, between um, 
uh, Ball Creek and Warley Hut. Um, I found that a fairly difficult day's walking, uh, all through the blackened bush and that where the fire's been through there. But I wouldn't really call it a low point. It just probably wasn't the best day I've had. Was it more because of the fires and it was just a bit barren, or was it just a, the, was there something else as well? Probably just the fires and a bit barren, everything black, yeah. I had a section of that down south um, leading up into, I'm trying to think where it is, I think it was leading up in towards Collie, and it was just this barren black landscape with black trees, and you think, I think I'm on the track, but I'm not sure, because everything looks the same. So it'll be interesting to see what that's like. Uh, and that was, was that where around the area where um, Helena Hut burnt down? That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I had a double hut there because uh, I would have normally stopped at Helena, but that wasn't there anymore, so I had to go on to Worley. Okay. Um, now, um, let's talk gear. You, um, you seem to be carrying a lot of lightweight gear. Now, is there a reason for that? or? Yes, my age, probably. <laughs> And, and how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 76. Okay. So, in fact, Rick's, Rick's now officially the oldest person I've met on the track. Um, before that, it was Wayne, who was 73. And it, it just amazes me the number of 70-year-olds that are actually doing the track. And I just hope to be doing the same sort of thing in another, another 15, 20 years when I get to that sort of age as well. Um, all right. So what's been the best piece of gear that you've bought you, you really couldn't have done without? Well, it was a piece of gear I probably wouldn't have thought of bringing, except that C Steve Sirtis suggested it, which is a small umbrella. Yep. And it has saved me putting wet weather gear on, taking wet weather gear off. It's been invaluable. Okay. Hmm. I must admit I haven't hiked with an umbrella before. I, um, it's one of the things I've got to look at and see how it goes. But I, I must admit that there's been some days, as you say, you put the gear on and then 10 minutes later it's, it's full sun again. And you, you, know, you start getting hot and sweaty, mm. so you take it off. And it's just, mm. uh, I'm glad we actually had such a nice sunny day today. Um, what about pieces of gear that you either haven't used or just haven't worked the way you thought they would? Um, probably haven't had anything that, that hasn't worked. Um, uh, I've bought things with me like gloves that I probably didn't need and uh, probably a few too, clo too many clothes that I didn't need. Yep. But other than that, I, I can't really think of anything else. No, that's fine. I mean, uh, you've, you've done a bit of hiking by the look of it? Yes, I have done a bit. Mm. Uh, it's, it's not constant with me. It's infrequent. I've walked the Cape to Cape track a couple of times. Uh, but this is the longest hike I've done. I think it. I think it sort of tends to show that I think the people who have haven't done much hiking before will often have a lot of things that they just don't. They either aren't going to use or don't think or think they need, but they don't. Uh, people who have done a bit of hiking before, their their kit's pretty much sorted, and they they know what they tend to need. All right, uh, and I suppose one one final thing is, uh, what would you say to people who are looking at doing the Bibbleman track? Just get out and do it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what most people say. It's uh, particularly if you happen to live in Western Australia, it's on your back door. It's easy to get to, and even if you don't do the whole track and just do a section of it, you know, it's you know, if you live in the the southern corner of Western Australia, there's a good chance there's a a section just outside your door. Okay, so we've been talking to Rick here at um, Mount Cook Hut. So thanks very much for that, Rick. Much appreciated. My pleasure. It's uh, 7.22 on Monday the 10th of September. 
I'm here at um, Brookton campsite um, and I'm just uh, doing a bit of uh, recording and catch up on social media as I can because there's no signal out here um, to uh, uh, just get myself up to date. Um, my original plan today was to go to Canning campsite um, but I got there at around about three o'clock and Brookton is only um, uh, another 10, 10 and a half kilometres further on. So I decided to push forward and, and, and reach this campsite, uh, which I did around about 5.30. Um, the terrain was pretty good, uh, and I'm trying to make sure that I can get to um, uh, Mundaring Weir Hotel for lunch on Wednesday. Um, so, um, just doing this extra 10 kilometres today or shorten the day on Wednesday. Um, today was a, um, a, a day of two halves to a great extent. The first half out of um, uh, Mount Cook campsite uh, initially was quite easy, but then I hit Mount Vincent and Mount Cuthbert. Um, and they weren't as big as um, uh, Mount Cook was yesterday, but it was up one mountain, down the other side, up another mountain, down the other side, and it was the down that was the, really the issue. Uh, a lot of the uh, path has been washed away or eroded with all the rain. Um, it's um, very hard to actually get good stable footing, uh, and my knees are never the best on the way down anyway. So um, it just took a bit of time getting down those two mountains. Um, as opposed to yesterday where I saw 18 people, not including the scouts that were uh, staying at the same hut at Gringer the night before, uh, today I only saw two hikers, both doing end-to-ends from um, Kalamunda through to Albany. I'm getting to the stage now that um, uh, every time I meet somebody, they know who I am. Um, uh, and that was the case yesterday with Rick, who uh, was staying at Mount Cook with me. He'd been listening to the podcasts. Uh, and the two hikers today uh, were the same. They were aware of the podcast, had been listening, so knew who I was and, and said, oh, you must be Tim. So I think um, that and also the fact that um, I've got the um, my Garmin tracker showing pretty well, in fact, showing exactly where I am. Uh, so um, what that means is if people check and see where I am, they'll know that they're going to come across me, you know, on a, a day or two or uh, period. And there really isn't that many northbounders anyway. Um, the next one behind me that I'm aware of is, is Kyle, uh, who's probably about a week to 10 days uh, behind now. So it's, um, it's pretty much all southbound traffic is what we're seeing now. Um, <coughs> once I'd got off Mount Vincent and Mount Cuthbert, it was very, well, pretty, pretty flat actually. Um, there was a few ups and downs, but uh, it was much easier. So while I travelled reasonably slowly in the morning, um, in the afternoon I managed to pick up a bit of speed, uh, and, uh, and that was going to be the thing that dictated whether I came through to, uh, uh, to Brookton or not. Um, if I didn't uh, get over the two mountains this morning in, in, in reasonable sort of time frame, I would have ended up staying at Canning. 
So I'd given myself an arbitrary figure of um, to, to get to Canning by 3.30. Uh, and as I said, I got there around about 3 o'clock. Um, reasonable amount of wildlife um, as far as um, wallabies and kangaroos. Um, don't see too many wallabies, but seeing a few. Um, lots of cockatoos uh, and lots of other smaller birds as well, but the cockatoos are certainly the most obvious ones. They're big and they're noisy and they're easy to see. Still haven't seen any snakes yet, not that I'm complaining, but um, given the way the weather is and the forecast for today was pretty much rain all day and that's what we got. We got a few periods of dry weather, uh, but pretty much it rained on and off all day. Uh, and it rained even when I got here uh, to Brookton it was raining so um, that's supposed to finish and tomorrow is supposed to be a day with no rain but we'll see how that goes in the morning uh, definitely looking forward to that one of the things that uh, uh, I passed today just on the highway that that uh, I had to cross to get over to, towards this campsite was a sign saying Kalamunda 65 kilometres. So really it's not that much further to go and potentially I could actually do the the last 65 kilometres in, um, in two days uh, and finish um, on uh, Wednesday rather than finishing on Thursday. Um, but my plan is to do around about 27, 28 kilometres to Wali campsite tomorrow. Um, go through the following day to Mundaring Weir and have lunch uh, and, um, and then head on to Ball Creek uh, and then on Thursday have a very short day of around about 10 kilometres. So, you know, if, if the weather is spectacular, um, you know, really unfortunately with Helena campsite uh, destroyed in fires earlier this year, it makes it a bit harder to do that. If Helena was there, uh, there's probably a reasonable chance that I would actually finish it off in two days. Uh, but I'm in no rush. Um, my original plan was to finish on Friday. Um, I will finish on Thursday. So I've, I've picked up that day on the Pinnerup Plains earlier on the trip. Um, one of the things this morning coming out of Mount Cook um, it was a flat area to start with, but the, the soil is a bit clayey in this area. So as a result, the rain tends to sit on top of the ground rather than soak in very quickly. So my feet were pretty wet for most of the day, uh, and my socks are certainly wet, and my shoes are sopping wet as well. So I'm hoping that, as I said, that we have dry weather tomorrow. If we do, I'll change into a dry pair of socks and, and hopefully see if I can dry off the, the wet socks from today. Uh, as I said, I think earlier, I was tossing up whether to bring three pairs of socks, and I think in hindsight, given the weather conditions, three pairs would have been good uh, because they're not the socks just aren't drying in a single day. Although when we did have periods of sun today, there is a bit of a sting in it, so it's starting to warm up. Um, so. Brookton, I'm by myself, which surprised me. I mean, I know it's not it's not a weekend, and there looked like there were about seven people here yesterday, uh, either stopping through for the night or uh, just passing through. Um, so it's um, it surprised me that there was nobody here. I thought it'd be at least one other person. 
Um, so I'll see what happens tomorrow night at Wally. Um, and in fact, and, and Ball Creek uh, the following night. Um, all right, that's pretty much me. I think it's just about time to go to bed. Um, and um, I'm hoping for a sunny, uh, warmish sort of day tomorrow. Good night. Good afternoon. It's 5.16 on September the uh, 11th, Tuesday. Uh, I'm here at Wiley Hut, um, just on my second last night on the trail. Today I travelled 27 kilometres from Brookton, uh, past Mount Dale Hut, uh, past uh, uh, Berriking Hut, uh, and then ended up here for the evening at Wiley. Interesting day. Um, I, um, I, the Mount Dale Hut was only around about nine kilometres from uh, Brookton, so it didn't take me too long to get to. Um, and in in between leaving Brookton and getting to Mount Dale, I fast passed four people that were staying there last night, and most of them fairly close to um, the Mount Dale Hut itself. I think most of them seem to be having a uh, a, a, a later start, uh, given that they're only travelling to the next hut onwards, so it wasn't going to take them long. Um, so four people, uh, two of them were doing a section hike heading south, uh, and the other two were doing um, end-to-ends, and they were just starting um, on their, their journey over the last few days. Um, this afternoon I passed um, uh, another person who was uh, also doing a, an end to end heading south uh, and he was planning on staying at Berriking uh, and when I got to um, uh, Wiley campsite there's three other people here doing um, two doing an end to end and one is doing a section at the moment so um, going from having no one uh, at the, the campsite last night with me to having three other people and potentially uh, other people could still turn up but I think that might be it for this evening. Um, my body is definitely telling me it's time to take a break. Um, my feet are, uh, are struggling a bit. Um, and I think it's um, I've lost a lot of fat reserves around the legs and the body. So it's making things a bit harder. Uh, and my knees with these hills are starting to, to show it. So um, I've only taken three Nurofen on the trip the entire, entire time. Um, in total so I'll take another one tonight uh, just to get me through tomorrow which is another 28 kilometer day I think um, I, the other thing that's a bit telling as well is um, I missed a couple of opportunities to do interviews for the podcasts with uh, people today uh, would have been they would have been quite comfortable doing it but my mind was focused on getting to the ne- next campsite so I think it's a bit bit of a, uh, a uh, an argument between podcasting and hiking and, and today the uh, the hiking went out um, you know it would have been very easy to stop and just interview someone in you know five ten minutes but I just wanted to keep on going um, <coughs> tomorrow I plan on heading into um, uh, Mundaring Weir for lunch um, they serve lunch between 11.30 and 2.30 so I'll, I'll leave here tomorrow morning at around about 6.30 in the morning 
uh, and that uh, I've got about around about 21, 22 kilometres to get there. So that'll certainly get me there in in, t- in that time frame for lunch, uh, and then I'll head off to Hewitt's uh, for tomorrow night, which will only give me a fairly short run in uh, to finish off the, the trip on Thursday. I think of around about 10 odd kilometres. So all up, I've got around about um, 35, 38 kilometres left to do. Um, good, um, some good um, wildflowers um, on the way through. Uh, f- really, from Mount Wells, I've had the same sort of flowers. It seemed to, Mount Wells seemed to be the turning point. I got to the summit of Mount Wells, and all of a sudden there was different wildflowers and different things out, and that seems to have carried through. So. Um, you know, it's they're quite pleasant, um, and I, I I did enjoy the walk today. And again, partly because there was no rain, uh, it was overcast through a lot of the day, and that's fine. But um, no rain, which is really wonderful. Uh, I don't know if the weather is going to promise that over the next couple of days. There is some rain forecast, but whether I whether we get much at all or any, I don't know. But I'm expecting rain because I've had more rain than sunshine on this trip. Um, one of the things um, that I've I've really noticed um, um, certainly uh, over the last few days is you know where I was doing 38, 40 kilometer days without too much problems a few weeks ago. I'm struggling to do that now, and as I said, I think my body's telling me, "No, nope, sorry, we we want to take things easy." Uh, and while I did 38, a bit over 38 kilometres yesterday, um, that was a bit of a push. Uh, as I said, I've lost, I don't know how much weight I've lost, um, but you know, I can see by how much I've had to cinch my, my pants up, I've lost quite a bit, and I'm estimating between 10 and 15 kilos. But I think I've lost a lot of the energy reserves. So whereas, whereas before it was quite easy to say, yep, 40k day, not a problem. Now it's sort of a bit of a struggle. And I think it's another thing is it's also a bit of a mental issue as well. I know I'm coming towards the end of the trip. Um, I could potentially finish tomorrow if I wanted to do a 40k day, but my body would scream at me if I, if it did. So as I said, I'm, I'm just taking things a bit easier over the next two days to uh, have, a, have an easy sort of finish to the trip on Thursday. Um, People, much more, much more people um, coming across uh, between in this section between Dwelling Up and um, uh, and um, Kalamunda. Obviously, the people you know starting the beginning of September seems to be the the key, and I am coming across them quite regularly. Um, I am still having to calibrate what people are telling me about the trail and the direction I'm heading. Uh, and I'm very focused on the fact that everybody has only started their trip a matter of days ago. And they're all telling me how horror stories of how tough the hills are and how steep they are. And I get to them and thinking, where's the hill? Um, you know, the the hill up Mount Dale, um, you know, was, you know it, was a, it was a hill. There was no argument about that, but it wasn't particularly difficult. Um, whereas someone I was talking to earlier today saying it was really took it out of it. But, you know, again, she'd only been, been started the trip a few days beforehand. Uh, so it's... It's. I'm having to listen to what people are saying about how bad the track is ahead of me, uh, and then take into account that they've only just started. But I've been been doing this for almost five weeks, uh, and my fitness levels are, uh, are pretty much at their peak, uh, whereas theirs are just building up. Um, and I'm looking out now from the Mount, uh, from the Wiley campsite, 
Uh, and there are definitely hills between here and where the finishing point is, but they're not particularly big hills. Um, uh, now I believe the biggest or the steepest thing I've got to deal with is um, in around coming into Mundaring Weir itself. Now the Mount Dale campsite which I came to this morning, nice little campsite. Um, it was a bit weedy and a bit overgrown in that respect and, and it looked a bit weedy. Um, so while it was okay, it wouldn't have been my first choice to stay there, uh, and I didn't, but I, I certainly wouldn't be one I'd recommend to people. Uh, Berry King was quite good, good views, uh, reasonably clean, reasonably open, uh, quite, you know, and very similar sort of construction to the previous campsite, but just in a different environment, so it just felt much nicer. Wiley was a bit of a surprise because I had a look at a photo online and thought this looks like a ratty little hut in a really revolting little area. Uh, but what they didn't show was the spectacular views out the front of the hut. Um, you know, really, you, you, you can be lying in bed, looking out, watching the sunset at the moment, and it's just spectacular. It really is. Uh, and while when you know the sunset's going to be the other direction tomorrow morning, uh, you're going to wake up and see these mountains across the valley. Uh, and you know I, I will do a list of my favourite huts uh, at the end of this trip, and this is going to be one of them. Um, the only drawback is the toilet's probably around about 90 metres away. Uh, they obviously have to put it somewhere where trucks can get in to, to empty it if need be, uh, and that's not anywhere close to where the hut is. So it's one of these ones where. I'd almost say it's probably the longest distance uh, from a hut of any toilet on the on the track. Could be wrong, but I think it takes the, takes the prize in that respect. But yeah, lovely little campsite. It's old, uh, and I think it's it's one of those, it, it it does need a few improvements. Uh, I'm on the top bunk, and with most of the other top bunks. You, you know, little stuff. There's no chance of it falling down the edges. Here, there's gaps. Uh, uh, on the head and gaps on the side near the walls so if you've got little stuff potentially could fall down uh, and you could lose it so um, it's one of, I think it's one of the older looking huts uh, and it's could do with a few improvements or updates but I'm sure at some stage they will actually go through and replace it with a ram berth construction but yeah it, it, the views are really wonderful so as I said less than uh, 38 kilometers to go now uh, two days uh, and looking forward to actually having a bath, just soaking in hot water, and just getting all the aches and pains out. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's not too many aches and pains, but it, as I said, I just will take a Nurofen tonight because uh, I, I am feeling it, and I will tape my heels tomorrow. I'm finding that the, um, the calluses have got to a point on my feet that it's actually a bit painful where the calluses meet the normal skin. Um, so I think I just need a... I was, I was treading gently on my heels today and I'm thinking well, I can't keep on doing this for two days so we'll go through and tape both my heels tomorrow the rest of my feet are holding up well uh, the original taping at the start of the trip which I used probably for about 500 kilometers worked really well uh, and no longer necessary so this is this for me has been the biggest discovery on this trip foot taping is wonderful it really does help uh, particularly when you're doing big mileage multiple days um, haven't really had to deal with this before and I'm glad that I had the, the taping lessons before I started okay I'm just gonna see if I can convince one of my bunk mates to have a chat uh, we'll see how we go talk to you later okay I'm here at Wiley campsite uh, we're actually sitting uh, on a chair just on the edge of the uh, 
uh, I won't say cliff, but edge of the the, the 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 area where the camp is, just looking out into the the setting sun at the moment. And I've got one of my uh, camp mates here, who's here tonight, uh, who's uh, uh, agreed to have a chat to me. So I'll get him to introduce himself, uh, tell us uh, his name, where he's from, and his age. Hi, my name's uh, Nathan Smallridge. I'm 25 years old, and I'm originally from Melbourne, um, but I've been travelling up and down. Well, I went to Darwin, and now I live in Perth. Okay, so you're doing an end-to-end of the Bibbleman track. Why did you decide to do the Bibbleman track, and why are you you doing it from north to south? Uh, Why I decided to do it was um, something different for myself, Um, and I've always had a a thrill or sort of passion for traveling so I find backpacking a really good alternative for an active lifestyle and enjoying life as much as you can Um, and from north to south I've just decided just due to location convenience for myself all right um, so you've been going, what, about three days at the moment? Uh, yep, just on three days. All right, and how have you found the trip so far? Um, yeah, really good. Um, a lot of wildlife. Um, the weather was a bit wet the last couple of days, but um, the track itself is quite a challenge, a few hills, but overall it's generally really fun. All right, and as um, I mean, you haven't been going that long, uh, but how, how have you found the actual terrain between uh, Kalamunda and here? Uh, the terrain itself is quite rocky. Um, there's a lot of mountainscapes, a lot of nice trees. Um, so you best have a good pair of hiking shoes. All right, um, and um, I mean, as I said, you haven't been—you only been, haven't been going that long. But what's what? What have you enjoyed most about the the few days that you've been doing the trip? I enjoy the most is probably the serenity itself, and just being in nature and having a campfire, having your tent, and just having the basics what you need to travel and enjoy living simply. We had um, interviewed Nelson a couple of episodes ago, and he had very similar reasons for being out on the track, just being in nature and just, just reconnecting again. So it's, uh, I think that's one of the reasons that a number of people do come out on trips like this. Um, okay, so how long are you planning on taking to do the trip? Uh, the trip itself, well, I'm planning on going from Kalamunda to Dwelling Up. Um, I could go further. Um, I know from here to Dwelling Up could be at least 10 days and if depending on how I feel from there I'll most likely continue if I feel good and see how much I can travel okay Um, and um, had you done much training to get fit for the trip before you started Um, before the trip I had done some some short walks I've done a part of the Bibliman track before but not in this location Um, And generally I've been quite fit because I come from a martial arts background. Um, I trained Muay Thai for three years. So that's something that's kept me fit along my journey. So I've always sort of been fit. All right. (laughs) And have you found found your your fitness has coped with what's what's been been thrown at you? Yeah, I would say as long as you take your time with it and don't try and rush ahead. And also with the backpack, make sure you don't carry too much. Because the back tends to get quite stressed. 
Do you know how much your bag actually, or your pack actually weighs? No. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, so what advice would you give to people who are looking at doing the track? Um, I'd definitely say bring lightweight clothing. Um, pre- be prepared for rainy weather as well. Depends what season you go in. Um, make sure you have enough water, that you can carry enough water. And generally take as, only as much as what you would need to survive the length of trip yeah i think i think that's quite that's actually a good attitude to have i think a lot of i've seen a lot of big heavy packs and i know that people will will jettison a lot of that over the coming weeks uh, when they realize they're not using things so you what you think you need and what you actually need often tend to be two different things so okay that's good so we've been talking to nathan um so thanks very much nathan much appreciated thank you appreciate it thank you it's 10 to 8 in the evening on the 12th of September. I'm here at um, Hewitt's Hill Hut uh, for my last night of my trip. I um, left Wali this morning at around about um, 6.45, uh, hoping to get away at 6.30, but just didn't quite get there. As always, it's, it was, it tend to be leaving 10 to 15 minutes after I planned. Um, really good sunset last night at uh, Wali and really good views this morning looking out over the valley this morning uh, I think Wali is definitely my favourite hut of the whole whole trail it's an old hut, it's a bit antiquated uh, not as uh, many updated features as uh, there are in other huts but as I said the views and the location are just well worth it and I'm glad I ended up staying there uh, <coughs> headed off uh, towards um, the next hut along, which was Helena, which has been burnt down earlier this year. And, and even from the road without going down there, you could see the, the area had been meshed off and it looks like they've cleaned a lot of the rubble away, but I just couldn't be sure. Uh, from there, pressed on to uh, uh, Ball Creek. And that was quite a good hut, actually. It was, uh, again, nothing spectacular, but it was just in a flat, open area um, at the bottom of a valley, and it just felt really... It just had that good feel about it. A couple of minutes after I arrived, um, and I was signing, the, signing in through the book, um, two other hikers turned up, uh, and they'd left Kalamunda just after 6 this morning. So they got there at um, about 11.30. From there, I sort of uh, continued on to Mundaring Weir, uh, aiming to get there for lunch, and I got there around about uh, quarter to one, which was fine. I uh, walked into the bar, and there was another hiker who was headed um, uh, southbound, so we ended up having lunch together. Fairly new hiker overall, a lot of experience, carrying a lot of bulky, heavy sort of gear. Uh, but seemed to be going well so far, although it had taken him two days to get to, to Mundaring Weir. Um, in total today, I passed uh, two, four, six other people, uh, and they were all going to be staying at ball, um, Balls tonight, and plus one of the um, gentlemen that was at uh, Wiley last night was also going to be there. So there's going to be seven people at that hut tonight. Helena not being there is sort of uh, 
congregated people a bit closer than probably would have been. Um, but again, I, it, I know it's it's a bit hard to see with Helena not actually being there. But I think the position and location of Wiley is just much better. I just uh, can't see how it would compete. But I could be wrong. Um, I could have very comfortably finished today, but it would have got me into Kalamunda. If I had well, if I had have skipped lunch and just eaten on the trail, I probably would have gotten in about about 5.30 but as it was having a, a lunch at uh, Mundaring which I needed uh, would have put me in and there about 6.15 and I preferred it to turn up when the visitor centre was open and um, I uh, wasn't having to rush it and it would have made for about a 35, 38 kilometre day and uh, my body's saying no, don't want to do that so I'm here roughly about 10 kilometers away from the end point um, and that will take me about two and a half hours to do tomorrow so depending on how early I get away and I'm not in a particular rush so I think I'll probably sleep in a bit and get away about 7.30 maybe even 8 o'clock just depending on how organized I'm feeling in the morning another couple turned up tonight and it was surprising I thought okay I'll be alone tonight but they're just doing a day trip out and back, so they're heading back tomorrow. Um, one of the things when people do overnight trips, they come with sausages and they've got bacon and all sorts of other stuff. And it's, uh, it's really hard when you've been living on dehydrated food and freeze-dried food for the last five weeks to, uh, you know, they're cooking away and all this lovely, lovely smelling food. And they did offer, but uh, I declined. I thought I'd had enough for lunch. And uh, my stomach's still not quite used to the, the, the heavy sort of food. Um, I'm not quite sure how I feel about finishing the trip. Um, I've already gone through and put the post up about, um, from today. For me, this trip is about uh, a personal achievement, about being able to say that I've, I've done a thousand kilometre trip. Um, and I, there was never any doubt from my perspective, short of injury or illness, that that was going to be the case. But um, I've got no real sense of loss or uh, that's often associated with finishing trips like this. But I'll see what happens tomorrow. That could all change tomorrow when I actually finish the trip itself. I also... I'm quite comfortable with being alone for long periods. It allows me to think. Um, and the fact that it even allows me not to think. I know this is a stereotype when males respond and say, what are you thinking? And they respond with nothing. Um, there are periods where I've just been not thinking about anything else apart from where I'm going and what's in front of me. And I haven't been thinking about anything in particular. So... Um, it's been good just to tune out, switch off, haven't listened to a podcast or music in five weeks. And while I've watched um, uh, uh, TV, uh, catching up on the news when I've been in town for my breaks, um, I've sort of disconnected to the world to a great extent. Um, tomorrow... Uh, gets me into Kalamunda 
Uh, I'll be very quickly looking for a barber. Uh, I think I've had more facial hair than at any other time in my entire life. Uh, and I think it stopped growing two weeks ago. I think my, my family just can't seem to grow beards and moustaches. And it's a pretty, pretty poor excuse for both at the moment. Um, I like being clean shaven and as I said I'll be looking for a barber tomorrow afternoon. Okay, one more day to go, 10 kilometres, see how I go. It's just after 11.30 on Thursday the 13th September and I've reached the northern terminus of the Bibbulmun track. Track's now done, 1,000 kilometres approximately in 36 days. Um, this morning's trip was one of the slower trips I've had. It took me about three hours and um, ten minutes, which is not too bad. Um, I uh, uh, I was dawdling, trying to find any excuse not to finish, just to keep on the track. Uh, and um, you know, I even stopped in the Camel Farm, two and a half kilometres from Hewitt's Hill campsite, just to get an ice cream. Um, it's is a bit bitter, It is a bit bittersweet. I felt elated to finish, but it's also a bit sad in some respect as well. You know, walking the track has been my life for the last five weeks, and uh, you know I've gotten used to a routine uh, that you don't get into on a uh, even even a week long or a two week long trip. You know those sort of length of trips which I've done in the past, you just look at them as a short holiday. But five weeks, you really become enmeshed in what you're doing. Um, and it's uh, while I'm looking forward to finishing, or looking, I was looking forward to finishing, uh, and I have lots, lots to do and lots of people to see. Um, I, it's, it's a hard thing to sort of stop after doing it for so long. So that's my final recording on trail for the Bibbulmun track, um, and this is the final podcast recording for uh, this trip on the trail. Uh, It's been a pleasure to uh, bring this to you uh, and thank you to everyone who's actually gone through and and followed and passed on their best wishes. It's been greatly appreciated. Uh, I've enjoyed sharing this trip with you um, and and I've looked forward to reading your comments on a regular basis. That's it. Done and dusted. Okay, so that was the last of um, the on-trail recordings for this series. Um, I uh, I found the last day to be very emotional. Um, I read a lot of um, blogs from overseas hikers who had done long-distance hikes and there's always the, the discussion on being bittersweet, you know, the, the, the elation of finishing and then the realisation that uh, things have to change. So it's, um, as I said, those last 10 kilometres, it was almost like I was looking for an excuse to, to slow things down. Um, it's been a pleasure bringing these, these recordings to you uh, and I, I, I would like to thank everyone for their wishes both on the trail and that have been sent through to me as either emails or social media. It's been greatly appreciated. Um, next week's episode will be 
a reflection on my trip and it'll be a uh, discussion on my expectations prior to the trip versus the reality that actually occurred. So, and we'll also hear from Jill about her views about me being away for, for five weeks on the track and how she's seen that. The week after, I'll be recording episode 82, and that will be discussing the equipment I used on the trail. Uh, and I'll go through and talk about the things that have worked well for me, the things haven't worked, and what I would have done differently next time. And as part of that, I'll be publishing a gear list just to help people, uh, hopefully, in preparing for their trips as well in future. Um, one final comment before I finish off this episode is I'd like to uh, give a shout out to Anna. Um, I uh, came across Anna a few days ago. She was having a, a particularly difficult day, uh, but still she was pushing on. And I think uh, anyone that can push through, uh, even in the early stages of this trip, it's just as much a mental um, um, race or, or process as it is a physical one. And you can train for the, uh, the physical side of things and you can be supremely fit, uh, but it's a bit harder to train for, from the mental side of things. And she was doing really well. So I, uh, I wish her the best of luck and hope, uh, hope she enjoys the rest of the trip. As always, this podcast can be listened to through, through the Australian Hiker website, through Stitcher Radio, through SoundCloud and through iTunes. If you have a chance, please go through and rate us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating to help get the message out there. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and all the previous Australian Hiker episodes on the Bibbleman track, uh, and we look forward to, to bringing to you our upcoming episodes. That's all for me. Bye for now.